0: Another episode of Hunger for the Outdoors. I'm Zach. I'm Melissa. I'm James. I'm
1: Connor. I'm Michaela.
0: And so this week, we obviously have a special guest back on. We have James. Because last week we told you guys that we would be posting about big game hunting um, and what we want and what we need for big game hunting. And someone that we knew that had a lot of experience with that and is a relatively successful hunter, is James. Um, James, go ahead and tell us a little bit about your experience and your, um, I guess, life of big
1: game hunting. Well, thanks for having me on again, guys. Glad to be here. Been looking forward to it all week. <clears throat> um, I guess my background with big game hunting, you know, I, I remember when I was a kid, not necessarily big game hunting, but I remember my dad... You know, whenever he would shoot a buck, bringing it home. Me and my brothers would gather around. We were just super excited anytime that would happen. And so really my first ever experience big game hunting was, I believe I was 12. We went to Wyoming, we got antelope and mule deer tags. And yeah, that was the first time I ever ever had experience. So I shot my first antelope and mule deer that trip and had a successful trip and ever since then, you know it's just been something one of my passions um growing up you know throughout high school got really busy with hunting and everything it happens with a lot of folks so i didn't get to do much of that but in the last six years you know since since then you know since i've been whatever quote unquote out out on my own um you know we've really gotten into me particularly mule deer hunting and especially backcountry mule deer hunting so that's definitely my passion Love all big game hunting, but really mule deer hunting is what I've just always loved doing.
0: Now, for those of you that can't hear or see us, um, this week we actually happen to be changed a venue. We are in James' living room, and as I turn around, I see James's claim to fame. James, tell us a little bit about that, because that is, I walked in his living room, saw that, and the first thing I asked is, can I take a picture of that? <laughs> so we will be posting that on the Instagram page, because this is <clears throat>
1: awesome that is definitely you know my closest claim to fame if that's what you want to call it but what zach's referring to is a copy of the cover of north american whitetail which is one of the the more popular prestigious whitetail hunting magazines and when i was 13 when we lived in kansas i happened to be lucky enough to shoot a 247 inch whitetail on public land so how it came to be is you know I, I have no idea. Just one of those deals. I'd rather be lucky than good any day. But with that being said, yeah, definitely one of my most fond memories. I shot him with my dad right by my side on a two-day youth hunt in Kansas. It's a hunt that opens up before your typical archery, muzzleloader, rifle hunts in Kansas. So, yeah, I got lucky with that buck. He's still obviously my biggest buck to date. Probably will always remained to be that way and i'm fine with that i always on the quest for something like that again but yeah that's what zach's referring to is that north american whitetail cover um that i was lucky enough to grace when i was 13 years old just so you all know james
0: took me into his back room earlier and he's being pretty modest about how big his deer are um he's he's shot some dandies and uh he found a dead head in wyoming that was <laughs> pretty phenomenal. Um, but even those don't compare. I mean, what was the size of the biggest one in there? I...
1: That Deadhead is like a mid-180s type mule deer and my biggest mule deer I've shot is like a... He, he scored like 167, I think. Big three point with a kicker. But from there it's just kind of a handful of 150 inch type bucks which I'm happy to shoot. You know, <laughs> Happy to shoot.
0: They so. are beautiful deer. Absolutely phenomenal. But definitely
1: not really so come James. close to that. Yeah, Connor? Four.
2: For our listeners who know, oh, he's a 150 inch,
1: 247 inch, What is that measure Yeah, so, yeah. you know, if, if you're not familiar with Boone and Crockett's scoring system, um, you know, obviously the big game record books, Boone and Crockett for rifle kills, and there is Pope and Young for archery kills. So when it comes to scoring, there's a lot of things, you know, with every different animal, there's different things, but let's just take a mule deer, right? You have... X amount of different measurements, starting from every time, right? So you have G1, G2, G3, G4, main beam. Um, So what you do is you take a measurement of all those, you measure the mass measurements on it. There's four different mass measurements, and then obviously an inside spread. So what that ends up coming out to is a total score. So just to take it, you know, if you wanted to look at, um, what's the word, a comparison, right? So to get into the Boone and Crockett record books, there's different scores For a mule deer, typical, I believe, it's kind of flipped around. There's like your, they have your all-time records and then your kind of short-term records, but I believe it's 190, if I'm not mistaken, for a typical mule deer. I have to look it up. Um, it shows what I know, right? I know how to score them, but we could look that up. But that's kind of the scoring. Uh, basically, that number you're looking for when you're hunting a deer is 200 inches. Like, that's kind of the... You know, everybody's goal with a a deer, whether it's a whitetail or a mule deer, is you're looking for that special 200-inch mark. So, um, very rare to find. That's why I was very lucky and blessed to be able to shoot a 247-inch whitetail. So, which at the time put me at around number 125 in the world. So, I think he's since dropped a few since then, but hey, I'll take it.
2: Awesome! Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, yeah. There was one thing I forgot to mention. Last episode, we were talking about you know things that we bring with the duck hunting and whatnot. Um, and Kayla and I were sitting here talking about it after the episode, and I realized that we forgot the most important thing that we carry with us—that's bug spray. Especially for uh, early season duck hunts, where you're sitting on top of a mosquito nest you really want that bug spray. The kind that we usually get is 100% deet. And we can find it pretty much any outdoor store, at Walmart, Target, any other outdoor store should carry it. But that is worth like a charm for us. Um, and I know, as Zach has mentioned, this episode we wanted to talk a lot about big game hunting that we bring along with us. You know, There's equipment that we need and want, stuff that make us makes us comfortable Um, I feel like with last episode, we've kind of, uh, already explained a lot of the necessary things that we need, um, but what are some things that you guys bring along that you really enjoy, like, add to the comfort of the hunt, or just things that you like to have along?
0: Um, I think starting off with big game, things that are nice to have, um, I'm going to throw in a thing for my binoculars. Um, I I really like my binoculars, but I go with one company specifically, and it's for one reason. Um, I, I am a loyalist to Vortex. And in the Shields in Utah, there is a glass case with a pair of I guess if you want to call them binoculars you can, but they are burned remnants of what binoculars are. And it talks about the California wildfires. And this man had a pair of Vortex binoculars that were in his home when the California wildfires came through and burned his home to ashes. And he gathered up what he could and he sent them back to Vortex. And Vortex has an unconditional VIP lifetime warranty. And so when they got those remnants, they boxed up a brand new pair for him and sent them out to him. This year, while I was out hunting, I happened to drop my binoculars out, which had been discontinued. And it messed up the lens inside and couldn't be fixed. And so instead of sending me just a brand new pair, they sent me the one up, that they had upgraded to as a new pair. Um, But one thing that has made me a loyalist of Vortex has been their VIP warranty. Um, As for what binoculars specifically I use, I use the Crossfire Twos, 10x42, love them to death. I think they're a great quality all around binocular. James, what do you use?
1: For binoculars right now, I've got, I also use Vortex, you know, like like Zach said, great warranty. That kind of outweighs a lot of things when it comes down to it. When you're spending that type of money on binoculars and, that, and optics, it's nice to have that warranty behind you. What I'm using right now is the Viper 10x42s. And um, looking at an upgrade, looking at going to 12x50s, just for a little bit bigger something i can throw on a tripod and do a little bit of glass and then it obviously if needs be put my spotting scope up there but for right now i've really liked the 10 by 42 vipers they're they're nice compact not super heavy or anything like that so nice to just carry around when you're hiking around pull them out of your harness and you just got something real quick to look at good field of view so i really liked them
0: and, Connor, you don't run a lot of binoculars or optics for your waterfowl, do you?
2: No, I I don't really use them at all. The only pair of binoculars I have, I honestly, I'm not even sure what brand they are. There's something that I found at a buddy's house. He's like, hey, do you guys like use these at all? He said, no, it's been here for a long time. I don't even know whose they are. You can go ahead and take them if you want. I was like, sweet, I'll go ahead and use them. And I think you've used them before, Zach. They're pretty crappy quality.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> right. When you were here for duck season, that's right.
2: Mhm. And So I'll, I'll use those sometimes just to, like, if I'm scouting for like, squirrels or anything like that or whatnot, maybe even scouting out to try and see what kind of ducks are out in the water, I might pull it out, but I just haven't had the money to go and buy a nice pair of binoculars you know when i do though i'm right there with you guys i like to get a pair of uh, vortex just for that quality and hear a lot of stories like the ones he just told
1: well i feel like in your situation too connor like you're saying as far as when it comes to waterfowl or even squirrel you don't necessarily need high quality glass because i mean you're just more so looking if something is there when it comes yeah. to up in the mountains and you're trying to pick apart a hillside and look for a little ear flopping or an antler shining, whatever it is, or you're trying to count points on antlers, that is where the little bit higher quality comes into play. So I don't think it's necessarily like, hey, you've used it for what you need it for, and that's what they've been good for, you know?
2: Yeah, and what I have works for what I do right now, but right, right. this coming up gear season, I'd like to get a rifle, get some binoculars, and... sure. Start really scouting out and getting into the big game
1: world. Well, I know a guy who's selling a pair of uh, Vortex Viper 10 by 42s Good deal. <laughs> Cousin discount, maybe, if you're lucky. Cousin discount? All right.
0: <laughs> and those Vipers are actually really nice. I'm looking at Vortex's website right now, and the ones I got, I get the base model. You know, I just got the cheapest ones they make, and they're under $200. And so it's pretty good quality for... I mean, you're not going to be yeah. spending the thousand dollars that no. you're going to spend on Swarovski, but
1: right
0: for they're the cheap man Swarovski and pretty nice, but
1: yeah, for sure
0: they've also got some really nice ones in here. Like James was saying, you know, he's looking at upgrading to the Viper. Uh, what Was it the ten twelve by fifties?
1: Yeah, I'm looking at going to twelve by fifties, a little bit bigger.
0: And so yeah. right now MSRP is three or seven forty for those. Mine's sitting at one ninety, and I'm thinking about upgrading mine too. Um... But I do know that they make a monocular. Vortex makes a monocular. Yeah. And if you wanted to go the very cheapest you can and, and as lightweight as you possibly could, that would be an awesome one for going out and just seeing what's out there.
1: Yeah. I've seen a guy run it before and, you know, he just had it hanging off his side, you know, pulls it up as quick as it can be. And I'm like, that's kind of slick, man. You know, it, I mean, you can fit it in your pocket, you know. It's no bigger than your cell phone. I mean, realistically, you pull it. I mean, that'd be a really nice thing just to have in your pocket if you're just running up there real quick. Or obviously, it's a you know inexpensive option of, of glass for sure.
0: Or even Connor, in your situation, if you're trying to go out and just see how many ducks are on the water, or yeah. if there are ducks on that body of water, yeah. what kind there are, that'd be a good option.
2: Great. Another thing I really like um, that you showed us at your doctor party, Zach is your attachment for your car window. That's something else I'd really like to look into getting. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, so up until this year, I did not look into spotting scopes at all. Um, I had heard of them. I had one. It was an old... I want to say it was a Tasco. But it was one that I just hadn't used. It had an eyepiece that came off... But I started watching a lot more hunting videos, trying to learn how to do it, because I'm not very good at it. And the guys were using always, they were using um, spotting scopes. And so my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, and I ended up at a garage sale, and a gal had a ton of ammunition and a car, a window mount for a spotting scope and an old spotting scope. And I went to her and I was like, I'll give you 20 bucks for everything. She's like, "Mm, give me 70. And I'm like, I'll give you 40. She's like, give me 60. I'm like, I'll give you 50. (laughs) And so we settled at $50 and it was worth every penny because a window mount is a little more than I'd care to pay, but it is worth every dime you will spend for one reason. You can always put a spotting scope on your window, but. If you're in a situation where you want to photo- uh, use photography you can mount a camera on there as well and it makes it really really nice so that's what I've got um, my spotting scope that I'm running now is the oh what is it the viper HD 20 by 65 by 80 I think so um, and I absolutely fell in love with- all right so we were talking about spotting scopes. James, tell us a little bit about yours and how you utilize it.
1: Yeah. First, I'd like to get into why I got a spotting scope. I went, I had a Wyoming deer tag probably four years ago, back, or I guess five years ago now, 2016. And I went up there with a good buddy, Brady. And we're up there glassing these giant, giant alpine basins. And I had these little 10x42 binoculars and I could not pick up anything. Like I and granted it was my first deer hunt in in a few years. I just got back from my mission. <clears throat> so, he was just glassing up everything with his spotting scope. And I'm over here like feeling useless pretty much. So after that season, my number one thing on my wish list or to-get list was a spotting scope. So, I just went all out. I went and got a Vortex Razor I've switched a couple times since then, just to different razors, but right now what I'm running is the, it's the Vortex Razor Gen 2 16 to 48 by 65 the reason I'm with a 65mm is just because it's a touch lighter than the 85 that I had, and it fits a little bit easier into my pack. So, and really I don't feel like I lost a lot of magnification or field of view, which are all things that play into the part, but I've been running that Vortex Razor. This is my first year using that 65 millimeter, and I really liked it. You know, it did exactly what I needed it to do. So, um, now obviously, I you know, Zach, you were talking about running a phone scope. I've been running a phone scope on it, and it's just a great way to be able to get, you know, video of, of wildlife, deer, elk, whatever you're looking at. Because I like going back and looking, seeing what's out there, just memories of the hunt. So, that's why I run a phone scope on it. Exactly. I feel like
2: also on top of that um not only is it great for capturing pictures and videos but then you as well as everybody they are hunting with can gather around the phone and watch this animal too whatever it may be that you're looking yeah.
1: at no more lying about what you've seen that morning because if you didn't get it on video i don't believe you you know <laughs> there
2: you go Pixar didn't happen exactly exactly.
1: <laughs> exactly um
0: another thing that my wife and i invested in this year was a tripod um I had my heart set on the bog death grip. Mm. I really Mm. wanted it because I'd seen how well it can hold a gun. It didn't have a ton of recoil when you shot it. It was probably one of the most solid ones. But my wife also wanted to get into photography. And so the first thing we picked up was the pro camera adapter for the bog death grip. And then we realized it doesn't go into the death grip. And so we ended up buying a different tripod for it. And later on, we realized that you can buy an adapter for the death grip that goes on this tripod as well. And so her phone Ah, or her camera can go on this tripod. My spotting scope goes on this tripod and I can make a shooting attachment on this tripod. Mm. And so we're really excited to try that out this year. Yep. Um, It's the switcheroo system and it, I mean, it does everything that we were hoping it would do. We were really excited to get that. Um, It's the death grip light but we are really excited for her to be able to do a lot of photography with that this year and to be able to film animals and film some hunts so that's bog- something that we were really
1: excited I've, I've seen a lot of good about those bog pods I've seen guys on <clears throat> social media whatever you want to call it but they just seem sturdy as a rock man they lock their gun in and you're like dead on you know just dead set I like yeah. that
0: yep um Let's see. Oh. James, you do archery hunting. I do. What's one of the tools that you would say is probably the most useful for how far you're shooting archery? Oh I, I would even use it during rifle.
1: You're talking like a rangefinder.
0: I'm talking like a rangefinder.
1: Yeah, rangefinder. I mean I I mean you I just don't think you can hunt with a bow without a rangefinder. You know, I think it'd be Careless to do it to say the least, unless you just have a sixth sense of being able to tell how far away something is. Which some guys are amazing at doing that. Me, I don't trust myself enough to do that. So a rangefinder, is when I especially when I got into archery was you know, something that basically came hand in hand. I couldn't get a bow and plan to hunt unless I had a rangefinder. And obviously sighting in a bow, you know, you can't do it without a rangefinder. So yeah, i have been running a Vortex, like once again, Vortex. Uh it was the Ranger one thousand at the time. Funny story, I was working up here in the Rexburg area and I'd been wanting a rangefinder and so I'd kept my eye on KSL. Well some guy was selling one in Logan, which is about two and a half hours from here, and but the price he he was selling for hundred bucks. And those usually ran for about two hundred bucks minimum, even used. So I'm like I message him, like, hey dude, I'll be down another night to get it. So I d- left work, went when I was done, drove straight down to Logan, picked up the rangefinder. I didn't know if it was a scam. I had no idea. I told my buddy, I'm like, hey, if you don't hear from me in 20 minutes, this is where I was. You know <laughs> that sort of deal. <laughs> it wasn't a scam, obviously. Um, but yeah, I picked up that rangefinder, and it worked great for me for a long time. I recently upgraded to <clears throat> the uh, the it's the Razer 4000, which. Tactical line. It's way, I mean, it ranges way farther than I would ever need. You know, I think the farthest I've gotten range is like 2,400 yards, which, I mean, the reason I got that is more so to see how far away something is. Like, if I'm looking at a deer, okay, I got 2,400 yards to go to that deer or 2,000 yards or whatever. Obviously, I'll never be shooting with a rifle or a bow, you know, anywhere near that distance. But I wanted something that was really quick reading My Ranger 1000 was a little bit slower on the reading, and so that's the main the main reason I upgraded. But I will say, oh, go go ahead, Connor. Sorry, I was gonna say that that uh, Ranger um, it's a great option for getting into uh, range finders. It's it's a it's a more inexpensive. I'm sure you could find them nowadays for around 150 bucks, 200 bucks. But great option to get into it. It ranges as far as you'll ever need. I think you could range. Anywhere from 600 to 800 yards. So plenty of range on it. Sorry, Connor.
2: No, you're good. Um, I was just going to say, Zach, why don't you tell the listeners about uh, the range finder you had me picking up, the BDX system.
0: Yeah, how much was that?
2: I think it was retailed at $400, was not it?
0: At least. I think it was closer to 440 But yeah, what did we end up paying for it? I forgot. I think it was well, just over $100, bucks, was not it? One I
2: think, eighty. I think we got it for had it been at least 50% off, maybe.
0: Yeah, I think it was like 180 190
2: Yeah, something like that. And so... It was a killer deal.
0: Story ends up, we were on our way. So my wife, a few weeks prior, had taken me into a gun shop in Idaho Falls. Where I'd heard about this BDX system. It's, it's Ballistic Exchange Data is what it stands for, and I'd seen this, I'd heard of it before, but my wife took me into this, uh, this gun shop, and I saw some of the Sig Sauer, um, electro-optics, and I was kind of excited about it, you know, thinking, oh no, you know, like any other electro-optic, it's going to be way out of my price range, and come to find out, it's actually not, um, Like we said, we picked up the rangefinder for more than half off. It was about 180 when we picked it up, 190. Um, And I've been bugging my wife for a little while to let me pick up the, the scope. Because the rangefinder will pair with the scope, and you can build your own profile for your gun on the app. And it will connect your scope and your um rangefinder and when you range out at the yardage, it will put a dot in your scope to exactly how far that bullet is going to drop. And so I've been bugging her for a little while, and bugging her for a little while, and I finally had dropped it and thought, you know, I'll just, uh, when I save up the money, I'll pick it up. Well, I come home one day, and I look on my porch, and there is a Sig Sauer box, and I thought to myself, Now, wait a minute. I know I didn't order that. Someone's got some explaining to do. And so my sweet wife comes home, and I look at her, and I said, Sweetheart, we had an unusual package today. And she tried to act innocent all of, what, 30 seconds? Because you suck so bad at at trying to admit, or not admit that you did it.
1: It was supposed to be a secret till Valentine's Day slash our sixth
0: month because they're within a month. Yeah, that didn't work for me. So anyway, she ended up picking up this scope for me and I have yet to mount it on any of my guns, but I am really excited to um, because with this, that rangefinder that I've got can range out to about 800 yards on a deer. And we got, it,
2: we got it over 2,000 at my house, didn't we?
0: Yeah, on a soft like object, a it, I think it goes out to 2600, 2,600 yards. Yeah. And so when we go out, I want to see if I can hit a target over 1,000 yards. That's my goal, is hit a target over 1,000 yards with that scope.
2: Yeah. So you're saying it's basically, with this whole system, your scope will uh, zero in your itself pretty much any distance, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't have to do any adjustments. It does all the adjusting for me. I don't have to look at the ballistic data. I don't have to look at the turrets. Once it's zeroed, that's the end of it. It will do everything else for me, which is really, really nice.
2: Sounds like quite the game changer.
0: Yeah. They built it so that someone like me, who is uninformed on how ballistics work, and I don't really like messing with my turrets once I've got it zeroed. They built it so Mm -hmm. that someone like that can go out, Take a range Mm -hmm. and shoot.
1: Yeah, it's a slick system. It's really, really nice. I think when it comes to, you know, for me, big game hunting, you know, I was thinking this week when, you know, after Zach asked me to be on, there's three things, you know, that I think of. And optics is one of those three things that, that, uh, in my opinion, are my most valuable items that I would consider a need is optics. That's definitely top three for me.
0: Well, we were talking earlier about how if we had $1,000 to spend on a gun, you spare them the bare necessity to get a good quality gun and the rest of it on an optic. Right,
1: right. Yep, optics are key, in my opinion.
0: Um, I guess the next thing on our list is uh, quartering bags or game bags. James, do you have any experience using those?
1: Yeah, I, you know, for years I just went to Walmart and bought your Alaska game bags, you know, use them once and toss them out. This last year, um, my brother actually got me the caribou game bags as a gift, and they're reusable. So it's essentially, you know, like a pillowcase type material, and it has four quarter bags and then like a little miscellaneous like backstrap bag type of deal. And I used them for the first time this year, and, you know, that's definitely a great option. You know, you, you obviously use them, you pack them out, they get real dirty, they get bloody, but they clean right up they look brand new and so it's an option where instead of spending 20 bucks every year or 20 bucks every animal mm-hmm. till you go spend 50 bucks you get these reusable quartering bags and you can use them for the foreseeable future so i've definitely been a fan of these there's there's a multiple different options i think you've got caribou game bags um our golly makes game bags and i know there's a couple other options out there and they're all Pretty darn well similar. So, Black Ovis I think is one that makes some. So, multiple different options and they usually range in that $50 range.
0: See, and this year I might have to invest in something like that. I know in the past, the only thing I've ever done is I've carried it out on my shoulders or put it in the back of a truck. Yeah. But I do know carrying it out on your shoulders, you are going to get dirt and grass and all sorts of crap inside. Yeah. And that's why you need game backs.
1: Yep. Yeah, and so in my situation where a lot of what I'm doing is you know, backpacking, backcountry hunting—you know—that's kind of what I love to do. Uh, you know, dragging out a deer no longer becomes an option. You know, I think the the last deer I was lucky enough to drag out was when I was like 14 years old in Wyoming, dragging them down the ridge down to the road. You know, but especially if you're looking to get into that type of getting back in there, hiking in three, four, five plus miles—you know, game bags—and is really your option, so, and that's the style of hunting I like to do. Obviously, everybody likes to do something different, but those game bags are a good way to not only keep yourself clean from getting you know blood and whatever on you, but also your pack. So,
0: Connor, um, just tell me really quick: you hunt a lot of ducks. How do you transport them? Do you just carry them? Do you put them in your sled? Do you have a bag to use? Do you have a game uh, carrier? What do
2: you got? Um, so I never considered using a bag or anything like that, though that's not a bad idea, I might look into that. Um, I went on a hunt with a buddy of mine this last year and he had this, uh, I forgot what it was called, it has a name, but it's something you throw around your neck and it's got uh, rings on both sides mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. you know, stack the duck's heads on and hold and whatnot. And I've been looking to get one of those, but I'll just throw them in my sled as we kill them and I'll haul it out and leave it in that sled till I get home and then we'll clean it as soon as we get home. Or I'll throw it in the freezer if I don't have time and clean it the next day. But
0: and once again, I want to reiterate the utility of Connor's sled. Keeping that, those ducks in that sled prevents from blood from getting all over his car. It's just in that sled and you can wash it out really easy.
2: Yeah, definitely. I'll just hose the sled out when we're done. Throw it back into storage. We're good to go. But... So the next thing on our list is a hatchet and a saw. If you go for overnights or even if you go out and you get cold, it's nice to be able to
0: chop the wood up with something rather than just a pocket knife or something like that.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. It's something, one of the reasons, and I've never carried a hatchet or a saw on me. But the reason, one thing I'm looking into is a lightweight packable saw. The reason being is because I'm thinking, considering about upgrading to a, uh, like a floorless tp style tent that has a stove in it. Obviously, you know, it's, it's all lightweight, so you can get those options for around, you know, four to five pounds, which having a tent and a stove for that range is great. But it'd be really nice to have a backpacking saw, like you were saying, to be able to, you know, Get wood for the for the stove. That's definitely something I got to keep in mind if I'm going to go that route with a tent. Is to uh, get one of those saws. But imagine Zach has a little more experience with the yeah. hatchets and saws.
0: Yeah, I uh, so this past year, even I uh, I field dress my animals. I don't quarter them out, mm-hmm. um, and when you're field dressing them splitting their hindquarters is really really important um to be able to get all those guts and everything out and so i uh i'll split the pelvis and i always use uh i always use a hatchet if i can mm-hmm. um and i like to keep one sharp i got one from rocky mountain elk foundation a few years back it's pretty good um Another thing that I've started doing recently is I keep a game saw with me in my pack at all times. And that's for if I need wood, if I need to split the animal's uh, shanks, if I need to split the pelvis. I mean, there's so much utility to a saw that I've almost started keeping that as my preferred use tool versus a hatchet. Um, Connor, do you have any utility for a hatchet or a saw?
2: Um... We just got a small little hatchet in our, that we keep in our shed. Uh, I don't think, it definitely needs to be sharpened, so I don't think I'd take it out now, but I do remember a few years back, my uncle, he's really good with woodwork, and it's actually a tradition in his family that for Christmas every year you give somebody, at least on his side of the family, um, everybody gets a homemade gift or handmade gift. they all very skilled at quilting, knitting, uh, woodwork, whatever it may be. And I remember... One year, he made the saw for me. And it's this very, very small, uh, simple thing. It's just got two wooden hammers on it that fold in on top of the blade and some rope to keep it sturdy. And I would probably end up taking that if I ever need to go for, like, overnight hunting. Um, I should probably start taking it when I go camping, too. It would be a bad idea. But... It's a really nice, really super lightweight and small. Um, and like I said, I've barely used it since he's given it to me. I just haven't had much of a need for it since we have an axe and a hatchet in our shed. But So it still has pretty good blades on it too.
1: I know, James, do you ever use a, a battery pack at all? You're talking for... Like a rechargeable yep. battery pack? Oh yeah, that's definitely, you know, <clears throat> in the day of age we live in where a lot of our technology is on our phone, you know, including GPS maps, obviously, you know, video, picture, that, you know, all those sort of things that you have on a phone. Having a battery pack is essential because your phone ain't going to last long. So I've, I actually generally carry two of them with me just in case. Kind of have a heavier weight option for You know, when I'm back at camp and getting things charged up, it'll give me anywhere from five to eight charges. And then I've got kind of more of a lightweight one that I just kind of run around with up in the hills if I ever need one, you know, for one charge or maybe two charges. Yeah, battery packs are definitely a a good thing to have up there, you know, especially if you're able to get service where you're at, be able to keep in touch with whoever it is, your wife, your significant other, just to let people know, hey, you're doing good, you're safe, that sort of thing. That also
2: goes back to the uh, satellite phone that you and I talked about last week, Zach.
1: Yep.
0: That's I, I was listening to that podcast today and thinking about what great advice that was. You know, it is so important you keep your your options for communication open. Um, and that satellite phone is one that I think that would be worth its weight in gold multiple times over. Yeah. For example, uh, two years ago, two hunting seasons ago, my dad, my grandfather, my cousin, and I are driving. And all of a sudden, there's two kids coming at us, and they couldn't have been older than I was, you know, 18, 19-year-old kids. Yeah, they'd gotten their car stuck. In the middle of the mountains, in the middle of Idaho, back 50 miles from the nearest place where there was civilization. And wow. both of their phones were dead. That would have been a very long, very cold, very scary night had they spent it out there, and I don't know if they'd have gotten out.
2: Yeah, I don't know what... just try to think... I don't even know what I'd do in that situation. What what time of year did you say it was
0: again? (laughs) That's back when there was probably four foot of snow on the ground.
1: Yeah, I don't... You're You're going to be hard-pressed to get 50 miles out of there.
0: It's spooky. We were really grateful we were able to help them. I do remember them trying to pay my uncle, but we were just so grateful that we were able to help them out. Um, And that goes back to the spirit of the outdoorsman. The true hunger for the outdoors we've got. We don't want money. We don't do this for money. We do this to help other people that enjoy doing what we do.
1: Yeah, I recently picked up a, a Garmin inReach. It was towards the end of the season, so I didn't get to use it, but definitely gonna be a piece of gear that will come in handy. You know, when I was in Colorado, Hunting mule deer two years ago. We didn't have a lick of service up there. You know, not a single bit of service. And so, it's one of those things like you tell your, you know, your family members, hey, I'm going to be out on Friday. And if you don't hear from me then, start worrying, you know. <laughs> but when you have a, you know, an inreach, whatever it is, a way to communicate, takes away those worries. And those things are great because they, their battery life lasts... A long time. Long time. Obviously, you're not using it 24-7 like a phone. So, definitely a solid thing to have in the backcountry. And
0: something that I've heard about recently, haven't haven't gotten one yet, haven't looked seriously into it, is the rhinos. Yeah. Um, I know my uncle got one. He got one for him. He got one for his son. I don't know, but I think that they're similar in the aspect of you can communicate with each other through them, but at the same time, you can communicate with the outside world, they've got an SOS mode. Yep. So yep. Um, next thing to bring with you that was a nice to have makes life a little bit nicer is a packable fishing pole. Um I picked one up five years ago at the state fair, the Idaho State Fair, it's called an M-rod, E-M-M-R-O-D. And it's two pieces, the eyelets and the spring is metal, the handle is rubberized. That thing has paid for itself multiple times over. I'll get bored while I'm up hunting. You know, I've been hiking 15 miles. I don't really want to hike anymore. I us take a load off. And there's a little crick in front of me. I just want to catch some fresh brook trout and eat. <laughs> this M-rod packs up small enough. I can put it into virtually anywhere. And you throw a couple of hooks in with it. You dig up a grub, you got dinner. And it's fresh dinner. And so I think that for me, has paid for itself multiple times over.
2: Or if you're James, you go to Walmart, buy an $8 Perch Slayer, and help it pray for the best. It works! (laughs) It works.
1: It works.
0: (laughs) Oh, man.
2: But yeah, no, I think that's a great idea. Um, I remember, James, you remember in Alaska where we would catch the fish, come back home and cook it and it wouldn't have been more than two hours dead how good it tastes
1: yeah it definitely has a different you know it's just like the feeling of accomplishment with that fish you knew where it was about two hours ago and where it is now it's definitely something nice and you think about it you're up there you know back in the backcountry hunting and there are times in the middle of the day when things are slow. You can pull out a fishing rod and do a little bit of fishing. I really like that idea.
2: So the next thing on our list is a headlamp or a flashlight. This year for Christmas my parents actually got me and Zach each our own little headlamp and it has a red light feature which is really nice for coyote hunting but that's beside the point.
0: These headlamps are worth their weight in gold because James you know as well as I do when it comes to big game hunting you don't want to get out there during the prime time. Right. You want to be out there right. during the prime time. And that means hiking in the dark. Yep. You also want to be out there until after daylight hours because right. you want to hunt until the very last second you can, which means you're hiking out in the dark. Yep. I uh, The flashlights that her parents got me are rechargeable. Um, they're phenomenally lit up with LEDs. I... Cannot wait to use them this next year. But James, what do you use?
1: I use, it's a, it's a Petzl. believe that's how you pronounce it. I could be wrong, but it's, I think it's P-T, P-E-T-Z-L. It's good. It's, it's very bright. The thing I don't like about it is it runs through batteries if you're on the bright level. But, oh man, yeah, you need a headlight. You need a headlight. I mean, that always is in my pack. A headlamp is always in my pack. never go anywhere without it. I've been in situations where I haven't had one. And you know, one was I think I talked about it on the podcast I was on, but me and my buddy got caught in a really bad situation, really bad storm, packing out a deer and I didn't have a headlamp and he did. And it's not like that would have changed our situation, but it would have been a little bit easier as far as when you're hiking up a really steep mountain and you're, you know, on a rocky it's a rocky shale type mountain just to see where you're putting your foot you know so it would have made life a little bit better you know but you learn, live and learn and that's how you end up you know come with up, up with these lists of things that you want or you need is because you were in a situation where you did not have it and you're like i'm never doing that again
0: almost every one of these items has a story behind it yeah
1: please. yeah <laughs>
0: Um, Along with that, I'm going to add really quick, Connor, because I know you have a special utilization as a waterfowl hunter for spotlights. But before we add that, I'm going to say, don't throw it in and then not throw in spare batteries because my dumb nut did that. Exactly. (laughs) Your flashlight will turn off or turn on in your pack and you won't know how. And then you're stuck four miles in the back of the middle of nowhere with no light. So please, if you're going to throw in and take the effort to put in a headlamp, throw in extra batteries, and if it's a rechargeable yes. one, like James was saying, bring a battery pack. Yeah. But
1: uh, I second that wholeheartedly because, like I said, mine runs through batteries fairly quick if you're on a high setting. If and I always, like, I'm like, man, I'm taking, I, I do, I overkill on it really. I take in like an entire pack of batteries, like you know, it's like I can, it comes in like there's like six packs. Do I need that? Do I ever use that many? Never. But I'm so paranoid about my f- lamp running out.
0: Well, and it's like our moms told us as kids, it's better to need it and not have it than have it and not... Or It's better to have it and not need it than yeah. to need it and not have
1: it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
0: But Connor, you have a special utilization for him as a waterfowler. Tell me why you would use one. So, I'm
1: going
2: to with Kayla and I. We don't use these the fancy ones. We just went to Walmart. Pick each picked one up for maybe 15 bucks. And the the way we use them as waterfowl hunters is <clears throat> we you know, like you say you got to get out there before prime time, right? And for waterfowl hunting shooting hours is at sunrise and then it ends half an hour before sunset. And sorry, sorry, half an hour before sunrise. And then at sunset. Um, and so, especially where we could go with public land, they open up the gate.
0: <laughs> you said that it opens... You, you cut off on where it opens.
2: Okay, so yeah. The uh, place where we go hunting, it opens up two hours before legal shooting hours. So it really opens two and a half hours before... Um, sunrise, and like I said, there's always a line of cars sitting out there waiting for them to open. So the sooner you can get out there, the better spot that you'll have. Um, We usually end up getting, what time do we usually end up getting out out there? Um, we usually... We usually leave here around 15 fifteen-ish, three thirty,
0: so we get there around four forty-five, five o'clock.
2: So yeah, we get there, you know, a little bit after it opens, about five o'clock. They'll open the gates about four thirty or so. Um, sun doesn't rise till seven, seven thirty, in the later season, and. You know, we're out there in pitch black, no idea where you're going. Um, <laughs> even if you've been out there scouting around the night before, you still got to try and figure out where you're at. You can't see anything, especially when you're walking out in open water. You don't know where the water is and the horizon is. You can't see where you're going. So you definitely need that uh, high-powered light, especially like, a lot of guys who have boats. They always have a high-powered light bar on the front of their boat. To see where they're going. Um, And you also need that to see, to spot out a good spot of frag mites where you can go hide from a distance as well. And so like I said, we just picked up some cheap ones and, you know, they have probably 18-hour battery life, I I believe. Um, And that's really all you need for a season. I mean, the ones that we got lasted us the whole season. Just because you only use them really to get out there and set up. And then once you get settled in, you shut your light off and wait for the sunrise. Mm -hmm. Hope and pray that you can get some ducks to land in your decoys before shooting hours. And then we almost, I don't think we really ever stay out all day either. We're usually out of there by one or two o'clock at the latest.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And we're really, really excited to come and, and, uh, go hunting with you this year. We're hoping that we can get James down there to hunt with us while we're down there. Um, I'm going to run through the rest of these nice-to-haves list, but there's one that I want James to talk about specifically. So, things that are nice to have while you're out big-game hunting are a tarp. You know, it's nice to keep dry. Cooking gear. Um, even if you're not going out for multiple days on end. Connor and I spent our day duck hunting, and we <laughs> ate breakfast on the boat because it was convenient. And that was good duck. delicious. Yeah. Um, and then... An oil or spice container for cooking is nice to have. If you're going to spend more than just a night, then a sleeping bag and a tent, a sleeping pad so you're not sleeping on the ground, and food. Those things are all things that are really nice to have. Um, Video gear if you need it, feminine hygiene, bandanas, zip ties, electric tape, and always extra batteries. I'd say
2: definitely lots of rope. To hang your food up away from bears.
0: Yep. Yep. Always cordage. Um, we talked about that in the last one. Um, we're running low on time. The one thing that I want James to talk to us about, he has a hookup. I want him to talk about rain gear.
1: Rain gear. Oh, gosh. Yeah, so rain gear. Um, once again, that same trip that we got caught in that storm on, we were just planning on running in there because we, no, we knew that where this deer was. Planning on running in there, which... By running in, I mean, it was six miles in there. But we got in there. We found the deer. As soon as we find the deer, it starts like drizzling just a little bit. Light rain. And we didn't, like, man. At the time, I really didn't have any rain gear. Because, like I said, it was in that year where I was at the very beginning of my backcountry type hunting. And so, I was just piecing stuff together. I didn't have a headlamp. I didn't have rain gear. Well, my buddy shoots a deer about... An hour before dark. By the time we get over there, take a couple pictures, quarter the deer up, it's dark. And the storm rolls in big time. You know, it had been slightly raining a little bit before then. But at that point, we were pretty good, you know, pretty good and wet at that point. So, you know, by the time we got out of there, we were just soaking. I'm talking like, you know, puddles in our boots. You know, just because that, you know, that's what happens don't have any rain gear. So, I vowed to never, you know, go hunting without rain gear again. So... Some of the stuff I run right now for my backcountry hunting stuff is – I actually run these little Cabela's um, reindeer stuff because it packs up really small. But um, my family and I have been running some gear, especially my brothers and my dad that went to Alaska this year. uh, They've been running First Light. So First Light's an Idaho company. They're out of Ketchum, Idaho. Zach and I were talking how we love supporting Idaho companies. And that's definitely part of why I like First Light. Because they're, you know, they're home, you know, this is home, man. Idaho is home. We like supporting them. I do like their patterns. Obviously, I like the way they look. And then their technicality on their gear is just, you know, very. it's just very high-quality gear. And so with First Light, there's two different options on rain gear. You have your lightweight rain gear that's more for backpacking. Um, great stuff to have. Uh, just to throw on when a storm rolls through or I mean, when you're up in the mountains. They also have their heavyweight seek rain gear, which is more for if you're going to be in the Pacific Northwest, if you're going to be in Alaska when it's going to be raining all day and you're still going to be out hiking around hunting, that's what that's built for. It's built for being able to hike through a briar patch or willow patch and it's going to take a beating. It's going to keep you dry. So, definitely a couple of different options when it comes to that. You know, I tend to lean more towards the lightweight gear um, just because. I'm just trying to get all my gear as light as I can because it makes it a little bit easier when you're hiking back in five or six miles. So, But definitely a lot of good options out there when it comes to rain gear. You can obviously go with your hunting brands of First Light, Kuyu, Sitka, um, King's Camo. It's really good. They all make very good options for rain gear. Then obviously you can go pick up you know, an Under Armour rain jacket depending on what level you're wanting to start out at. But I'm definitely a first light guy, you know, and I do get, I got a buddy that gets a hookup, and so I happen to hop on that, that deal with him. So it makes it a little bit more, in, you know, it makes the price a little bit better for me. It's still expensive gear. That's definitely, you know, something that if you're looking into first light, it's not going to be cheap. But I've gone through where I've had cheap gear. I've had cheap boots, cheap backpack, cheap camo. And sometimes that's just what you have to do, you know, because that's what your budget allows. But slowly in the last five, six years, I've been building up my gear because hunting is my passion. That's what I love to do. I'm not going out and buying a motorcycle because I like riding around on a motorcycle. You know, it's not my passion. My passion is hunting. And so pretty much any of my excess money, which I'm not saying there's much of it, but it goes towards hunting. And uh, that's why I've really liked to tailor my gear towards high quality stuff in the last few years
0: yeah and we just wanted to throw off with that you know guys we really love supporting local companies um i might be going through james to get some first light myself because i just i think that for me i've been looking at different gear and for a pack system of hunting gear first light is great quality especially their merino wool i've looked extensively into it and if you want to stay dry, that's the way to do it. They dry out fast. They get yeah. wet slow.
1: Um, yeah. When it comes to merino wool, First Light was one of the first companies to, to put a camo pattern on merino wool. They were big-time skiers. Ketchum, Idaho, Sun Valley is a ski resort. You know, it's a ski destination. And so these guys that started First Light were big-time skiers. And they're like, you know what? We're going to try taking this Merino wool hunting and see how that works because we love, you know, obviously the purposes that it uses when we're skiing. And so they're were, they were actually one of the first companies to print a pattern on Merino wool. So they've really kind of – and since then, I mean, Merino wool in the last 10 years has blown up. It's blown up because of the things that Zach mentions. And it, it's a great thing. You know, what I love about it is the odor. You could wear it for a week straight – And it's not going to smell like a cotton shirt that has BO all over it, right? Merino wool does have a certain smell to it because it comes off of a sheep. Yeah, it's wool. Yeah, it's wool, you know. And I actually tend to like the smell because I don't know if it's more so because when I'm sweating, I can smell that merino smell. Uh, It means I'm working hard, but, yeah, that's one thing. You know, there's definitely a lot of properties of merino wool, and First Light has definitely been the catalyst as far as bringing merino wool into the hunting world. Now, your other camo companies still, they use merino wool as well. KUYUs, merino wool, Sitka, all those companies do. But First Light was really the ones that tailored it and uh, put it towards hunting applications. And so, obviously, with them being a local company, I love that. They're a big company in the outdoor world nowadays. But uh, another company I'd like to mention um, in Idaho, if you guys don't mind, is uh, Exo Mountain Gear. They make hunting backpacks. Now, my big three things when it comes to hunting is boots, packs, and optics. You gotta have a good pair of boots. Gotta have a good pack. You gotta have good optics in my opinion. It'll make your hunt much more enjoyable experience when you have those three things. You know, camo is great and I would definitely recommend a base layer of merino wool. And first light makes some of the most comfortable
0: no, remind Walt. us of the name of this company this backpack company
1: yeah it's xo mountain gear so exo mountain gear they're out of boise i originally got their pack three years ago Shh. Shh. and the reason i got it is because it separates from the frame and it gives you a place where you can put the quarters of a deer originally it had a uh, eberly stock and i had to put the deer meat inside of the pack and so it made it to where my gear was getting bloody and it made it, it took up space and so I looked like a yard sale coming down the mountain because I got things strapped here, there, everywhere, man. Like my sleeping bag strapped to the outside. It was, it was a wreck. So I got this Exo Mountain gear, and it's great because you keep your pack normal, everything inside. You separate it from the frame, and you put all your meat down in there in the in the load in the load crib. I actually just sold that pack this week. The only reason I sold it is to upgrade to their new version. So um, it was hard to let go of it. I'm not gonna lie, I didn't want to. But a guy happened to offer me, you know, pretty good deal on it. So I'm like, "Well, I'll sell it." And uh,
0: my my uh, notebook <laughs> fell <laughs> as I'm sitting there laughing with Connor because I'm sitting there cussing out James for not letting me know about this sooner.
1: Yeah, I you know I actually had another buddy too that was like, "Man, why didn't you tell me I was selling?" it? I'm like, "I wasn't selling it," but I, I was on this Exo Mountain buy sell trade page on facebook which by the way if you're looking for gear look at these facebook pages first light has one you get really good deals on there and people generally take care of their stuff and so if you're looking for a way not to buy it at full retail price go on to these facebook pages first light xo they all have them. anyway i saw a guy in there that was looking for one i messaged him and we ended up working out a deal so it did i wasn't planning on selling it but it so, just happened zach i apologize Apologize.
0: Another Bye. one I got to throw in because of that very purpose of the frame separating is Mystery Ranch. Now, yeah. they're incredibly expensive packs, but my wife doesn't have a hunting backpack yet that's an overnight pack. And we're looking at getting her one. I am more leaning towards XO Mountain just because it's an Idaho company. But for those of you that don't live in Idaho or not inclined to you know, buy Idaho-made gear... Look at Mystery Ranch; yeah, they are good quality, and are. their frames do separate. Um yep. Anyway, Connor, you were saying something. Sorry.
2: No, you're good. I was just gonna throw out another company there that you know Zach and I both like. I don't know if James has ever heard of it, but it's also there in Rexburg. It's uh, Forgotten Outdoors. They have a podcast as well, and you know James mentioned that boots is a big thing for him. But they just did a wonderful podcast completely dedicated to boots where they talk about all sorts of different kinds of boots and the different reasons yeah. you need them. Um, so i was just say, if you're looking for some boots, you go listen to that podcast. Maybe they can help you out there.
0: Also, guys, they have wonderful um, sweatshirts and hoodies and um, hats that they, they sell. Were- they're a local company that they're up and building, and they're sponsored by Mountain Ops um, Drink Company. Take a look into them. They are really good. They just did a review on a Scorpion survival knife. It's really awesome. So check them out.
1: Yeah, boots, man. I don't don't know how much time we have left, but...
0: We're actually wrapping up.
1: Cool. Just to touch on boots real quick. I had a pair of Cabela's boots, like cheap, you know, 100 bucks. I ran through them in one hunting season. And from there, I ended up buying a pair of Mendels, which they actually... They sold at Cabela's at the time. But it's a mountaineering boot. I would... I highly recommend if if you're getting into hunting, or if you are hunting and you haven't upgraded your boots. Like I know it's expensive, and same with these packs that we're talking about: Mystery Ranch, Exo, Kefaru, Stone Glacier. They're expensive packs, but the, and the, and boots are going to be expensive. Whether it's Mendels or Crispies or Canatrex or Schnees, whatever it is, they're going to be expensive. But my view on it is: Well, I could spend a hundred bucks on a pair of boots every year that are going to leak on me they're going to be done for the end by the end of the year. Or I could put $400 into a pair of boots and they're going to last me for 5 years. And not only that, but they're going to be a boot that I've already broken in. I know exactly what I'm putting on when I put them on. These Mendels I've had for 3 years or so and it, I mean, heck, they still I mean, obviously I've used them a lot, but they still look in great shape and they are in great shape. So, if I was telling you guys if you're looking into getting into hunting and you're, especially, you know, for me, backcountry country hunting, um, you're looking into boots, backpacks, and optics. I think those are three things. Obviously, all these things we talked about are great. Like, you gotta have a knife, you know, you gotta have, you know, it's nice to have camo. You gotta have gear like that. But if I was looking at three things that, you know, would really just separate from, you know, a hunt to making it more enjoyable, is a pair of boots, good pack, and some optics. That's my two cents.
0: Sounds perfect. Um. Anyway, guys, we're gonna wrap it up here. Um. Until next time, I'm Zach. I'm Melissa. I'm James.
2: Connor. I'm
0: And We hope you keep the hunger for the outdoors. We'll see you guys next time.